Welcome to The M Files. You are listening to Valerie and Ellen Mayers, Patty Woodfinkel, and John Woodward opening the Cabinet of Curiosities that is the museum world. On this edition of The M Files, we will be speaking with our friend and colleague, Dan Bros, Arts and Communities Director for the North Carolina Arts Council. Hey, Dan, how's it going? Good, how are you all? Awesome, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. (laughs) It is good to see you. So my first question for you is the same question that we ask all of our guests. What is the strangest thing that has ever happened to you at a museum? This could be the museum that you work at, the museum that you worked at in the past, a museum you were a visitor at, or anything in between. That's a tough one. Um, Well, you know, I've been to a number of museums with you guys, so I'm sure something really weird and bizarre has happened. (laughs) <laughs> one of those occurrences. Um, let's see. As far as paranormal, uh, not really. Um, probably the strangest thing was so in at the South. Sorry. Oh, at the South Dakota Cultural Heritage Center in Pier, where I was the curator of collections, uh, I was actually out sick one day. And I get a call from my wife, who is, uh, works in the historic preservation office there. She sounded all frantic, and she was like, Dan, you got to get here. I was like, what's going on? I'm sick. I don't feel good. She goes, the building's on fire. Like, all right, I'm there. So if you're not familiar with the Cultural Heritage Center and Pier, it's built into a hill and covered in grass. And somehow a prairie fire had started on the front of the building oh no the building itself was never in danger but uh yeah it scorched half the half the landscaping on top of the the museum and left a nice smoky smell in there for a couple days but that's probably the weirdest thing that and an earthquake but nothing too wait an earthquake in south dakota yeah yeah we had a 3.4 and given that the building was underground right we could actually like feel it really more than i think you could if you're on the surface so we actually a number of us thought that like a car had ran into the building into the building or an airplane had flown into the building or something or just no it was an earthquake so if if you go online listeners and look up the south dakota is it the south dakota historical society yeah, the South Coast State Historical Society. The Historical Society. You'll see that the building is actually built into the side of the hill. It's a beautiful building, and it has this gorgeous green landscape over the top of it. So that that fire would be very concerning. <laughs> yeah, it, it was um, more the smoke than anything. But whenever you hear that your building's on fire, it's uh, it's run as yep. fast as you can. In, for, in the case of a collections person, it's run as fast as you can at the fire, not away from it. That's what I was going to say. All the museum collections people are panicking because now the the, the smoke smell has permeated the collections, and yeah. that's one more thing that you need to mitigate. Um, in addition to all of the agents of deterioration that you normally have to worry about, right. and then there's smoke thrown on top. Could have been worse. At least the fire sprinklers didn't go off. Oh, true. Touche. So, I mean, there's, sorry, my mother says, look for the silver lining and everything. At least that didn't happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, thankfully no heat got inside to, to trip those. So Dan, would you tell us more about your background? What led you to be part of the museum world? I think like most of us that get into the field, we uh, were probably lugged around as kids into museums by our parents on family vacations. Um, I know some of my earliest vacation memories uh, took place at the Field Museum in Chicago, the Museum of Natural, what is it, the Museum of Industry and Natural Sciences there. Science and Industry. Uh, so yeah, museums and national parks, that was kind of our gig. So I grew up really having a fond connection to museums and uh, liking for history. And I got into college and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I kind of settled into history, but I know I didn't want to teach. I didn't really want to go to law school, which all my other uh, classmates were doing. Uh, so I got an internship at the South Dakota State Historical Society, and it's kind of hit a sparked my interest and got the ball rolling. And then I went to grad school at University of Nebraska in Lincoln and uh, for museum studies and history. Did another internship in Pierre, went off and fell in love and moved to Muncie, Indiana while my wife went to grad school. And I uh, worked at the National Model Aviation Museum there, um, which was really cool. Uh, flying models that behave like actual real life airplanes. Well, they are real life airplanes. Uh, but I learned a heck of a lot about physics that I never learned in in, uh, in any of my schooling at the museum and uh, worked with some really fun people. Uh, after my wife graduated, we both decided that the most likely place for both of us to get jobs in our, in our field was in Pierre, South Dakota, you know, one of the smallest state capitals, <laughs> but we had both had experience there. So we moved back to Pierre. I was accepted the curator of collections job at the historical society spent 11 years there and uh, about 2017 we decided to make a 180 and moved out here to Raleigh North Carolina spent two years as um, a stay-at-home dad which was the absolute best job I ever had and uh, about two and a half years ago started with the North Carolina Arts Council so something not really museum related, but uh, nonprofit related. So everything kind of worked out, but now it's time to get back to the museums. So it's a, it's a fairly close fit though with the, the arts councils, the arts and humanities councils and museums, it seems, at least the, the art council here in Wyoming, it seems like it's a, it's a good fit for museum people. Yeah. Um, in my and, specific position, it we deal a lot with uh, local arts councils, which are all, for the most part, uh, nonprofit organizations, 501c3s. And I was fortunate enough to gain quite a bit of experience in South Dakota um, with nonprofits, and then also through schooling as well. So yeah, that and uh, being able to read a grant helped me out. <laughs> it's the little things of life. Yeah. Now you can read a grant. Can you write a grant? Well, one would think. 
I have been in the past, but it's been a few years. It always helps to put your correct address on. <laughs> I tell you, yes. people don't think of my... Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, punctuation is your friend when used properly. Mm -hmm. Not used at all. Boy. Yeah, beware it's, the semicolon. It's the difference between let's eat grandma and let's eat grandma. <laughs> yeah, there's, I think my my favorite English grammar book is uh, uh, Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. <laughs> oh. By Jane Goodall. Yeah, no, I don't, is that? Well, there is um, a similar book by a similar title by Jane Goodall, and I think that that is the, the take on the, the grammar, oh. grammar version. Well, because the, uh, the part about that book I love the most is that if you get the soft cover or one of the editions had stickers in the middle. So here I am in college class having a book that actually had stickers in it. Oh, and one of the best awesome. ones, because the Eat Shoots and Leaves has all these panda references. So the uh, one of the stickers on there is the panda saying, the panda says no. So <laughs> whenever I start thinking about bad grammar, it's the panda says no. And the book has done its job. So the stickers <laughs> there you go. I still have that book somewhere. I, it's the only grammar textbook I think I kept. Yep. Yep. The grandma one is always uh, the one that I think of. And the um, the GIF, 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 I always say it wrong. GIF that I have on my computer that says fonts matter. Nice. And in one of them it says, you will always be mine in very flowery, romantic lettering. And then it also says, you will always be mine and like bloody, drippy lettering. And yeah. That's the why fonts matter. <laughs> that's, that's more of a discussion for our exhibits, folks. Exactly. <laughs> That'd be a fun, fun conversation. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had some interesting, interesting conversations. But you know, Dan, we first met, I think, about twenty twelve or twenty thirteen at MPMA in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Yeah, I, I was, I think I'd been a museum director for about 18 months and I had no idea what I was doing. And someone's like, oh, there's this great museum conference in Lincoln in a couple months. I'm like, is it during football season? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't, you know, since you went to UNL, you know what game day is, we, is like when you're at, in Lincoln, the entire downtown is taken over by the red and white wave. Right. But, um, yeah, I actually went to the game after that. Too, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. That's when, when we went. Oh, okay. We haven't had a good year. College towns are awesome. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, Dan, what, uh, you know, you've, I know we've worked uh, on through MPA before, but what's your, what's your experience with some of the museum associations you know, you, that you've worked with? Yeah. Um, so as president, well, vice president and president of the uh, Association of South Dakota Museums, uh, that was for like four years, had some wonderful opportunities through that. Um, not just, you know, in state, but out of state as well. They, uh, you know, of course, you, when you're involved with your state museum associations, you get to meet, you know, not just the folks that are around you in the cities in your town, but you know, 
all throughout the state, especially if you have active active state museum association like we did. Um, meet some great folks that way and really kind of get to help them out uh, more so than you do in your everyday job. But uh, also through the, my involvement there, I got wrapped up in the, in the National uh, Association, National Assembly of State Museum Associations, NASMA, which is a bad acronym. Um, it, it turned into another organization, which uh, I cannot remember the name of it right now, even though I was on the steering committee that helped formed it. <laughs> that was a good six or seven years ago, and memory just creeps out. But it it's, you know, I can't, I can't speak enough for museum associations in general, but uh, especially state and regional museum associations, there's just wonderful people, great resources, um, get involved in them if you can. So tell us a little bit about the job that you do now. You had mentioned earlier that you work with a lot of arts and humanities groups and how, how your association helps them. Yeah. Uh, the, the, my, in my position, I work with the local arts councils in North Carolina, um, through a, mainly through a grant that I manage. Um, but North Carolina has the largest network of, uh, local arts councils in the country. Uh, we really? have hundred, hundred counties and about 75 of them have local arts councils, which is really wow. quite amazing. But the grant program I work with and direct is it goes out to all 100 counties and offers, uh, money for to bolster um, the arts infrastructure within these counties and also to provide um, all North Carolinians to theoretically to equal access to um, arts opportunities. Uh, it's, you know, since it goes out to all 100 counties, it hits the Charlottes and it hits the, you know, the tiniest counties. So it's, uh, it's all based off of population too. So you get the amount of money is based on how many people you have. So it's uh, very equitable and has turned out to be pretty popular. It's been around since 1977. Huh. Uh, and right now it's uh, about $3 million a year to all 100 counties. And <laughs> just today, it's kind of frightening. We were made aware that the state legislature has put an extra $10 million into this grant program <laughs> for this year. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's it's great and the money's needed, but holy cow, that's three times the amount as as I'm walking out the door, you know, leaving that with other people, um, which I didn't mention before. I'm going to the Hastings Museum starting December 13th, Hastings, Nebraska, curator of collections there. I'm very excited. Great group of people to work with. So the Kool-Aid Museum, as it is known. Yeah. It's got more than Kool-Aid though. That's true. I have been there. It's a fantastic museum. It really is. It really is. That was, uh, obviously the folks that worked there and, uh, um, it's location. Um, and, and the fact that they, you know, Russian and Teresa and Curtis and the gang there, there are kind of museum people, right? Yeah. They, uh, they know what they're doing. They know how to have the appropriate amount of fun. And, uh, so and I don't know put, put together quality and professional, you know, products too. So that, uh, 
I don't know if we were necessarily looking to move, but um, when the opportunity came up, it was something we decided to go after. So I don't know much about the exhibits team, but I know that the educational team at the Hastings Museum is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, Roseanne has about two or three people working with her. Um, of course, Roseanne is one of the best people on earth. Um, yep. So yeah, it's, it's a really, really great situation. I'm about to, great team I'm about to join. And we're glad to have you back in the region. So uh, we can it's going to be see great. It at MPMA and and plus the I know the folks at the Nebraska Museums Association. You know they they've worked really hard over the last few years to get the get their organization back up on on solid ground. And I know they they put out a really good time for their their members. So that's a they'll be able to benefit from your knowledge hopefully before they find you and make you the president or something like that. <laughs> Well, I'll be happy to serve however I can. That's, I'm <laughs> glad to hear that they're up and running again because I know for a few years at least they were mm -hmm. kind of having some some struggles. I, I don't know much about the Kool-Aid Museum. I, I want to know more. Give us some highlights, Dan. Uh, well, it was started during the Depression by a a local collector that kind of was like most local collectors back in the day he had an interest in just about everything guns uh animals rocks minerals all sorts of different things history so there's a whole uh i don't want to say mishmash but there's a whole bunch of different items uh topics that are covered in the in the Hastings Museum. It really has something for everyone. Uh, huge natural history collection. Uh, some Native American materials, mainly Pawnee. Um, a lot of firearms, a lot of, uh, they have a lot of vehicles. Um, of course, Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid was started in Hastings. So they have a, a wonderful exhibit right now uh, that is focused on, on the making of and the myth and the legend that has become Kool-Aid, but um, that is actually coming down and it's going to be redone and reintroduced to the public in the next few years. So yeah, it's, it's uh, evidently the largest municipal museum between Denver and Chicago. So I, I think that's, you know, I think most of the larger cities in between, it's a the cities don't actually own their history museums. Like, yeah, it really is a fantastic facility. It's really well done. And I enjoyed visiting that a couple years ago when I was making my way back to like Kansas City or someplace like that, and took a meandering path through. Yeah, yeah I think I went uh, when MPMA was in Nebraska and Lincoln. I went to um, the Hastings Museum as a an additional side tour that was available for us. So not only did we get to see the museum, the outside, you know, the exhibits portion of the museum, but we also got to go behind the scenes, which was really a lot of fun. Yeah, we got to go to the uh, that huge naval uh, ordnance depot too. That's there in Hastings. You remember that? I oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> 
so that they have a number of things related to that too obviously because that was a huge part of the economy during the 20th century so back to the um arts council really quickly i i'm really intrigued by the state that invests so much into the the art the local art scene i mean that's a a wonderful wonderful thing for the state to do what do some of the counties use those funds for how do they they utilize that and how do they extend the art scene to the general populace yeah um number of different ways we always encourage them to um, fund programs that hit touch on all of the different um, arts disciplines literary performing um, visual Okay. Music, folk art, um, some other arts councils. Let's you have to hold their hand and twist their wrists a little bit to get them to do uh, things they're not generally comfortable with. But uh, um, yeah, they you know a lot of the back before COVID hit, uh, a lot of the money went towards paying for performances at festivals. Um, they can use it for operating support too. The local arts councils can. So that's, uh, awesome. yeah, that is a, a big part of the grant. And actually in the eighties, the grant was used to actually create a number of the arts councils around the state. And North Carolina has just a fantastic long tradition of uh, really outstanding arts, uh, folk arts and whatnot, mm -hmm. bluegrass and American traditional music here. Uh, in Appalachians is amazing, and blues and jazz. Along the east, it's a Thelonious Monk was born here. So is a uh, Charlie Parker, uh, one of the other greats. Uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name, but uh, Nina uh, Nina Simone is from here. So I mean, just the musicians alone, and then yeah, visual artists. And it, it North Carolina is just blessed with an amazing artistic heritage and a and resurgence of a lot of the folk arts as well so and that was kind of going to be my second question is what what sort of folk art i mean that that intrigues me quite a bit so what what especially if it's resurging what 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 is the focus of the folk art or is it just everything under the sun yeah i would say ma mainly now uh, and it depends on what part of the state you're in. It's uh, North Carolina has three very distinct regions, the coastal plain, the Piedmont, and then the mountains. And the mountains and the Piedmont are very heavy in uh, bluegrass and traditional music. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas out east, it's uh, more gospel, uh, which has its, its roots out in the, you know, in the slave fields. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also uh, some Creole folks along the coast, the Gullah Geechee, um, that extend down into the coast of uh, through South Carolina and into Georgia. And then there's uh, coastal communities, and they have you know a basket weaving tradition and uh, you know, different dances and whatnot. So uh, we actually have a dedicated folklorist on staff that works with and uh, manages programs to grow. Uh, and pass on these traditional arts. That is 
Awesome. I love that you guys have a folklorist or someone that is specifically dedicated to, to the folk arts and the folklore going on in the state. That's really, that's powerful. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite the agency. It, it's been a real pleasure to work with, you know, just some of the greatest people I've met in my professional life. Uh, so, so, yeah, there's... What sort of things have you learned or perhaps uh, had brought to your attention that you might bring back west with you? Well, obviously, a lot more grant experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, having read, gosh, knows how many applications and reports, at least 600 or so of those. Um, you know, just dealing with different types of people, um, dealing with a, a more diverse um, audience, uh, dealing with, you know, in history museums, you tend to deal with, you know, well, in collections, you tend to deal with just the donors and, and sometimes when they let you out in the public, but um, I don't know, there's, it, it's opened my mind, I think, since I've done so much on the business end to uh, think more about the business side of things, um, not just the, the cool, you know, research and um, exhibit side. Yeah. I think that's, that's pretty insightful. Well, I think we're going to wrap things up for the night. Uh, Dan, we'd like to thank you for joining us as our, our guest. We, uh, we look forward to being able to see more of you as you rejoin the, the folks out here on the plains and the mountain plains. Welcome back. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. When I was there last uh, two weeks ago, you know, like the first thing you feel when you get out of the plane, you know, and get out of the airport's the wind. We don't have wind here in North Carolina except along the coast. And, uh, so yeah, it's always nice to come back to that, that welcoming <laughs> gust. I'm not, I'm not sure nice is the word I would use, but that was very PC of you. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up this edition of the M Files. Uh, we'd like to keep the conversation going between now and our next episode in two weeks. Uh, please follow us on Facebook at the M Files Podcast, or if you have questions, please reach out to us at the M Files Podcast at gmail.com. With that, thanks, and we'll see you next time.